0: Welcome back to Room Madness. This is the place for everyone who's crazy about rheumatology to connect, collaborate, and learn together. We are so happy to be back with our podcast. Uh, It has been a while since we've done a podcast. I know we put one up in the middle of last summer saying, we're back, and then we were silent for a long time. But we have been working away, actually, to make an amazing tournament for everyone this spring. Um, So, Tonight, we are excited to get back into the swing of things, and what we're going to do in this podcast is we're going to reintroduce what Room Madness is for all of those out there who are just uh, planning to play Room Madness for the first year or for the first time. Um, We have uh, new members of our leadership team, so you all will meet some of those in this podcast, and then we are going to talk a little bit about what you can expect in the upcoming tournament With all of that, I want to introduce the people that have joined uh, me on this podcast this evening. So uh, we have Lisa, uh, Dr. Lisa Christiane-Schreiber. She is the mentor extraordinaire who is helping set this uh, entire project up. Lisa, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, David. I'm happy to be here again. Happy you've kept me on for another year.
0: I couldn't get rid of you if I tried, Lisa. This is great. Lisa is a fantastic mentor and has helped get this entire project going. And uh, she's just a wonderful educator and leader. So thanks, Lisa. This is great. Um, And I think you did okay in last year's tournament, right?
1: I think I was probably around the middle somewhere.
0: Yeah. All right. I was
1: pretty good at trash talking.
0: (laughs) That's what we we have you here for. (laughs) Great. Um, and, uh, Guy, you're, you are the other returning member of our leadership team. So Guy Katz, you're on this, uh, with us
2: tonight. Welcome back. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be back and to have us back doing podcasts and getting ready for the tournament this year. I'm a, as a reminder, I'm a second year rheumatology fellow at Massachusetts General Hospital, um, I'm interested in vasculitis, IgG4 related disease, and I will forever and always believe that the rightful winner of Room Madness 2021 was Vexus. That's that's me. So, and Guy, just to be clear, do you mean that the rightful winner was Vexus,
0: or do you mean that the rightful, rightful winner was you and not Aki? <laughs> uh, let's say maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> I mean, it, it is you know, um, Vexus is definitely aging well, and as been covered by many others, Avacapan, maybe not so much, although it's now FDA approved and, you know, it's a nice treatment out there. Um, the debate will still rage on forever. And we were happy to be a part of that conversation as Avacapan was going through the approval process. But Yeah,
2: Vexus is still pretty cool. So, all yeah, right, I'm guy. happy to be the unofficial... Uh, winner of the Most Bitter Award for Room Madness 2021. (laughs) We're going to have to actually give you an award for that. That's great. Uh,
0: All right. So I'm also really thrilled to welcome uh, our very first ever medical student representative to our leadership team. So Courtney Baer is a second-year medical student at Duke. Courtney, uh, say hi to everybody.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm super excited. This is my first Room Madness Tournament, but I am a three-time March Madness Tournament winner, so I like my
1: odds so far.
0: Oh, she's throwing out the the credentials. This is great. I love it. Uh, Courtney, we're so thrilled you're here. You know, as Courtney and I have talked, and as you all have probably heard us say before, um, we want our leadership team to look like um, the participants that we want to engage for Room Madness. So, and that includes attendings, practicing rheumatologists, uh, fellows, residents, all the way to medical students, and really any other uh, health professions, trainees that are out there. And we even had patients engage in last year's tournament, and we'd love that again. So we're thrilled Courtney, Courtney is here, um, and we are just excited to engage um, all of everyone who's interested in rheumatology in this conversation. So it's going to be great. All right. And we also have Ben uh, Kellogg from Duke. He's a, a, a second-year resident at Duke, and you're a new member of the leadership team. Ben, welcome.
3: Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be joining this year's tournament. Um, I love rheumatology. I love madness. So the union you know, of the two, I'm I'm excited to see.
0: And we have several other members of our leadership team that are not joining us tonight. Uh, but just to mention them, uh, Aki uh, is joining us again. So Aki Udupa, now Aki Guerin, is now an assistant professor at Georgetown MedStar. And uh, she was on the leadership team last year and is joining us again this year. Can't make it tonight. Um, but uh, you all probably know her as Room Boss, who won the actual entire tournament as the participant. She did pretty well. And Guy is not mad at her. Um, <laughs> Uh, And then we also have a new member of the leadership team, uh, Lauren He, who is a third year resident at University of Chicago, a rising chief there. And she um, is also a member of the leadership team. We're thrilled that she's a part of this. We also have support from Dr. Matthew Sparks. So Matt Sparks is kind of the godfather of uh, Room Madness in that he created Neff Madness many years ago. They're on their 10th year this year. Um, They have over a thousand participants from the nephrology community all over the world participating in Neph Madness every year, and they inspired this project. And we're really thrilled to have his support um, and mentorship as we created this. And uh, my name is David Leverance, and I am uh, um, really excited to be a part of this again this uh, year. Um, I'm an assistant professor at Duke, and I am not an expert in anything other than an extreme enthusiasm about rheumatology. And I am just, uh, I have a lot of fun with this. So I'm glad to be doing this. All right. So, what are we going to talk about for the rest of this uh, podcast? We are not going to tell you the teams that are going to be in the tournament. You do not get to know that yet. I'm so sorry. But you do get to know some general ideas of what you are going to be learning about in this tournament. First of all, we already announced this at the ACR meeting and on Twitter. But in case you haven't heard, we have a new theme. For this year, last year there was no theme; it was just Room Madness. This year, our theme is Room Madness: The Planet of the Rheumatologists. Really exciting! (laughs) Hooray! (laughs) I think it's going to be fun. You all have looked a little bit at the teams in this tournament. What do do you think people are going to get out of this tournament as a whole this year? Maybe even compared to last year.
1: Well, I just keep thinking that it's all our planet. We just allow other people who aren't rheumatologists to live here, but um, what I think that people are going to get out of this tournament is a tremendous amount of really cool and diverse knowledge in a bunch of different areas that are important in rheumatology.
2: The uh, topics themselves are uh, much broader than what we may have seen last year. I mean, that's the idea is this year is a little different than last year in that
0: you're going to be challenged to explore new concepts. Even if you're a seasoned rheumatologist, there are going to be some concepts in this tournament that are going to get you out of your comfort zone. Have you reading different literature than you're probably used to reading? And you're going to have conversations that you probably would have never had uh, considered having before. And the other part about that is it's going to level the playing field a little bit. So, you know, if you are a medical student or a resident, don't think that you have the confidence of Courtney Um, our three-time March Madness champion. (laughs) You know, don't think that you are not going to be able to engage in this because actually a lot of the information in this um, is likely going to be new to most participants, no matter what their training level.
2: Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of learning. So I'm really excited for that.
1: Well, and I think the broad topics, as opposed to being more focused on papers, is just going to allow people to bring in their own research and help everybody to learn more.
0: Yeah, last year, a lot of the teams were very much anchored on one paper. And this year, we have base articles that the the fellows that are writing the scouting reports have used to create their scouting reports. And each person you all when you fill out your brackets will know what the base article is. But you're really going to be encouraged this year to explore that concept as a broad concept. And if you feel like there's more literature that brings a new angle to that concept, that is very important. And I think... um, actually having that conversation on twitter may even influence what the blue ribbon panel
2: decides that they think about the tournament i agree and i think that this year the topics are uh, really hard to capture completely in just a scouting report on like last year where there were pretty specific topics where where you could you know write a page and get a pretty good sense of of what the topic is here these topics are really broad and um, even the best scouting reports there's there's still going to be uh, you know, areas to consider that weren't in the scouting report and things to mention. So I think there's going to be a lot of discussion um, as the tournament goes on about other things that, that people haven't considered. So
0: we're not going to tell you again the teams in the tournament, but we are for the very first time going to reveal the actual regions that are going to be in the tournament. So there will be 16 teams and they are divided into four regions, just like last year. And um, remember, this is the planet of the rheumatologists. So the four regions this year, are um, they have to do with the life um, that is on that planet. So um, we have the cells region, we have the animal house region, we have the machines region, and we have the people region. So for a few minutes, we are just going to give you a little preview into what these regions are all about. And I'm going to start with Guy, who actually is our region leader for the cells region. So, Guy, um, what is the cells region going to be about
2: this year? Cells region is really exciting. So, um, uh, it, it does have to do with basic science. I know that basic science isn't for everyone, myself included. Uh, sometimes, with certain basic science topics, I can sort of retract and get a little bit uh, worried, but that's not what this is. This is, um, uh, recognizing that immunology and cellular biology is just intimately connected with the field of rheumatology. Um, and that despite the advances that we've had in recent decades, there's still so much that we're learning and so much that's changing with what we know, um, in, in rheumatology. Um, So I kind of think of there being two arms within the region um, in terms of how, what we're going to learn and what concepts we're going to be going over. Um, So first is what are we still learning with respect to disease pathogenesis and um, uh, sort of similarities between diseases, differences between diseases? And the other arm is how can we use some of these concepts and use our cellular biology understanding to design new treatments for patients with rheumatic diseases? That's fabulous. I'm really excited
0: about this region. It's going to be fun. And yes, um, armchair scientists are definitely welcome for this region. It is not just for hardcore uh, basic scientists. And that's the idea of this. So this is great. Um, all right. Next, we have the Animal House region. And Ben is our leader for that. So Ben, what's what's the Animal House region going to be about this year?
3: The Animal House region. Um, excellent, excellent region. So I I think of the animal house region as kind of copying answers from our evolutionary neighbors. Um, So rheumatologists, I think are a pretty smart bunch. So it begs the question of what could animals have to teach them? And it turns out uh, quite a bit and and that's what the animal house region focuses on. It broadens our approach to classic rheumatologic diseases by exploring how they manifest in non-human animals and how those animals' solutions could be used to help rheumatology patients. I'm sure everybody here fondly remembers learning basic physiology in med school. It's the first thing that we learn because those pathways are the building blocks of our medical education. But most animals didn't go to med school, so they've come up with some really out-of-the-box solutions to medical problems. And this region challenged me to think about reverse engineering those solutions for humans. And in doing so, I revisited my medical education's building blocks, those basic physiologic pathways, to ask why those pathways are the way they are. And this is what the field of comparative physiology is all about. Uh, Comparative physiology studies how life's basic pathways differ from one animal to another. So, for example, How does a human's smelling system differ from a dog's smelling system? And by asking how, we're inevitably led to the question of why. So why do humans and dogs have different smelling systems? What problems are each species trying to solve? And going one step further, being the selfish humans we are, we can ask, why not? Why can't we smell like dogs? And this whole process leads to a better understanding of physiology and potentially non-human solutions to human problems. So in the animal house region of this year's tournament, applying this comparative physiology lens to human and non-human rheumatologic disease, something that I'm really excited for.
0: It's exciting. I think the animal house region is going to blow people's minds. I have to say The reason we were inspired to make the Animal House region is completely from Neff Madness, who has done an Animal House region a couple of times. And the nephrologists are debating, you know, camel physiology versus some sort of uh, or, you know, how camels handle water versus, you know, some other strange thing. I believe last year, Matt Sparks got a hagfish tattoo. Uh, (laughs) There was a Twitter account for a hagfish for a little while. So anyway, there's there's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I, I think it's going to be really interesting. I have the last two regions. Um, Aki is our uh, is our leader for the machine region. And Lauren is our leader for the people region. And I will just briefly say a couple of things about these two regions. So um, the machine region is really, I mean, really what it's all about is welcoming our, our robot overlords in rheumatology. That's really what it is. Just, you know, welcome the future. Rise of the machines, and uh, that's going to be it. Uh, But really, you know, so last year's tournament, Guy wisely pointed out to all of us in a nice uh, Twitter thread, Guy, I remember this. You had this Twitter thread about how everything that is uh, shiny and new is what gets everybody's attention. And uh, you were talking about everybody getting all excited about the shiny and new clinical trials that were in last year's tournament. Um, Well, this year's shiny new stuff are fancy machines. And I think people are going to get excited. Um, but I think the question is, you know, with these fancy new technologies, how useful are they really? And having that debate and that conversation is going to be really fun. So in this region, um, we it's going to be really practical. This isn't like 40 years off in the future. This isn't you know, some futuristic land. We're going to talk about uh, really fancy but orderable right now tech, um, uh, tests that use fancy machines. And we're gonna talk about how useful those are. And we're also gonna talk about this concept known as machine learning, which I think most people think is something that uh, is used by social media algorithms and um, Silicon Valley and whatever they do to figure out how to warp our minds. And maybe that is true, but turns out that machine learning is actually something that is applicable to the field of rheumatology in a number of ways and uh, may even be able to help us understand what our diseases are um, and how to treat them. And then the people region. So the people region, you know, if you've been listening so far to um, the descriptions of these regions, you'll notice that really all of them are actually about people, sort of. Um, Ben, you're right, we're selfish humans. But uh, the people region is really about people. The idea of the people region is to talk about Um, The intersection between rheumatology and normal, healthy human life. What is it to be a normal, healthy human? And what are some basic components of human life that um, rheumatologists have to be able to engage with and address? Um, We don't always just engage with disease states. We also engage with people as they go through various, very important stages of life. And um, we have to be able to help people navigate that. We also have to know what's normal in people. And that actually is very challenging, especially when we have a lot of different tests that have questionable um, uh, specificity. Um, I will say one missing concept from last year's tournament that I um, want to make sure people know is going to be addressed in this year's tournament is um, the, axle, the, the field of axial spondyloarthritis. And that is going to be in this year's tournament, actually several times, but one of them will be in the pupil region somehow. So um, if you like Axe uh, you please be assured it's going to be in the tournament this year. Um, likewise, we have some pediatric rheumatology. It's going to be a lot of fun. So that's the tournament. Uh, it's going to be fun. I'm going to give some important dates for the tournament at the end of this podcast. Um, but the other thing that we want to make sure everyone knows none of our Topics is specifically addresses um, diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, but we want to engage with the conversation of diversity, equity inclusion throughout this entire tournament. And so throughout the tournament, if we're discussing you know something having to do with a certain disease state, we may also talk about um, uh, different disparities in care in that concept or um, different needs of different populations in that concept. And um, that is a commitment that we're making that we want to continue throughout this tournament. And uh, we are excited to learn about that together. And to start that off, uh, because this is a learning initiative, we thought we ought to address um, diversity um, and equity and inclusion in um, education, in rheumatology in general. So just for a few minutes, we're just going to take a step back from talking about Room Madness in particular. And we're going to talk a little bit about the need and opportunity to diversify Our um, training workforce in uh, rheumatology. And uh, Lisa, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on this. We know uh, that the entire population of residents and subspecialty fellows is nowhere close to representing the um, US population. And we also know, uh, at least from a study that was published in 2020 in JAMA Open, we're going to link this in the show notes, that although there may have been a slight rise, a slight, slight rise in the percentage of um, trainees that um, come from underrepresented medicine populations in internal medicine and subspecialties. We actually didn't see a rise from 2006 to 2018 in uh, r- the rheumatology um, uh, fellowships, adult rheumatology fellowships specifically. Um, it's remained right around uh, 11 to 12%, um, which again is far below what um, it should be if we were going to be representative of the entire US population. And it's also lower than what um, internal medicine residencies are, which is about 14%. Now, it's a really exciting time because we have seen an increase in applications and enrollment of underrepresented in medicine um, trainees in medical school. And so, there is um, an exciting boom in diversity right now. But the question is, how can we engage with that so that um, we don't squeeze the pipeline at the top, and that we actually are able to um, diversify and and increase the representation of our training workforce in rheumatology. So, Lisa, I was just hoping just for a few minutes to get your thoughts on this topic.
1: Um, sounds good. Thanks, David, and thank you for bringing this up and including it. Um so that we can hopefully address issues as we go through the whole room madness tournament, because I think it's so important and really so relevant to rheumatology. So in terms of expanding diversity and trying to make our physician workforce and our provider workforce look a little bit more like our patients, I'm kind of thinking about it as coming from two different ends of the spectrum. We can address it from top down and from bottom up. And just because I have sort of, I'm in a position to be able to address the top down first. um, You know, I think that there are a lot of things we can do within rheumatology programs when we are looking at applications uh, and when we are trying to select our new fellows to ensure that we um, really support a diverse workforce. And, uh, you know, I think it starts from a realization that individuals from underrepresented backgrounds um, really face uh, bias all throughout their medical school, undergraduate and residency training. So there are a lot of things that we're trying to not put as much weight on now that I think people traditionally would put a lot of weight on, especially in a specialty that's become as selective as rheumatology. So AOA, for example, um, it is very well known that AOA membership um, really does, is not as diverse as it should be and does not reflect the uh, racial and ethnic population that is in medical schools. And a lot of that really has to do with the inherent biases in, in uh, grading as well as in evaluating medical students. And so, you know, I think that looking, looking with more of a holistic review towards applications will be very helpful. Um, one of the things, of course, you know that we did this year was the day before we did interviews, or uh, I think it was the day before we did interviews, whenever we sent out all of our applications to the faculty who were going to do interviews, we sent a paragraph to just kind of say, you know, think about what your biases might be, think about the fact that we all sort of are, are programmed to look for people who are similar to us and try to put that in the back seat and really appreciate all of these individuals for who they are and what they've done, and and they may be different from you. Um, And then the other thing really is uh, inherent bias training. So I think that that is something that everybody should do at some point and just kind of think about and be aware of what are our own biases that can be conscious or subconscious and and really try to have a conscious eye towards eliminating those when we're about evaluating um, applications. And You know, I think one other thing that will probably help us as time goes on is eliminating or the the fact that the board scores are now pass-fail and that what we will see from our end is pass or fail because ultimately our goal, you know, anybody who gets into medical school ideally should be able to be a very competent physician. And so passing the boards just tells you that somebody passed the boards and uh, that they have achieved a certain level of competence. So I think, you know, just eliminating that as a distractor, I think will be good.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, as we talked, you know, leading up to this podcast, you know, you know, you mentioned this top down and bottom up approach. What, you know, what do you mean by the bottom up approach? Because I think, I think we, we often think about these kinds of things like implicit bias training and, you know, making sure that, you know, we are, you know, holistic review of applicants, those kinds of things. But what what is this bottom-up approach to? Yeah. So I think
1: there's a lot of things that we can do to address the bottom-up part as well. So, you know, starting with, I'm a fellowship program director. So starting in residency with really trying to engage with residents and let them know rheumatology is an interesting career. You should know that a number of our diseases disproportionately affect uh, individuals who are of Black or African ancestry as well as Hispanic ethnicity. And to say, you know, it's it's really a problem in rheumatology that we have a lot of racial dyads because most rheumatologists honestly are white or of Asian descent and the patients that we take care of are not always uh, similar to us. And, and we there is some data to suggest that having racial congruence among providers and patients can be helpful for trust, you know, and potentially then how that links to patient outcomes. So certainly encouraging residents. I think the other thing to know is that rheumatology is a small specialty and not every institution has rheumatologists on their faculty. And so there are a lot of individuals at community residency training programs uh, and areas throughout the country where they don't have the opportunity to rotate on rheumatology. So trying to increase the opportunity for visiting residents to come to institutions that have rheumatology I think is useful. When it gets down to medical school, I think you know, the fact that the enrollment from uh, underrepresented backgrounds has gone up so much, we really need to be able to capitalize on this and allow individuals to see what rheumatology is from the time they get into medical school, see how interesting it is. And then even before medical school, there's all sorts of opportunities to reach out before medical school to try to encourage people You know that that everybody can become a doctor, we have, uh, or a healthcare provider. That there's there's room for everybody, and we really need the healthcare workforce to look like the United States um, population in general. Um, So hopefully that gives some ideas. You know, I think that a lot of outreach programs, for example, like we've started uh, at Duke, um, a pipeline rotation, where our residents and fellows are able to go to a high school locally in Durham, that has a primarily minority, a majority minority population and be able to go help teach science classes there. Um, You know, so having residents be able to connect with high school students to say, you know, look, you can do this. Um, You can do what I'm doing right now. Uh, I think that that's all really helpful. So I talked for a long time, I could talk for days about this, but I'll stop.
0: Thanks, Lisa. I mean, I think this is this is crucial in that. I mean, this is a conversation that we just need to continue having as educators, as trainees, as rheumatologists, um, as people participating in the medical profession. Is you know how can we make sure that from a top-down or bottom-up approach, we are doing everything we can to increase um, the ability of anyone to become a rheumatologist? Um, this is the best job in the world, I think and um it's we don't we don't want to squeeze that pipeline at the top we want to open it up um and we really want all of these strategies to result in a continued rise in um the diversity of our of our trainees and ultimately of our workforce um it's only going to make rheumatology stronger and better
1: um, absolutely
0: and this is again just you know an example of the way that we we really are going to try to weave in these topics throughout our conversations, because again, we want it to be normal to consider these topics as we're talking about education, as we're talking about clinical trials, as we're talking about disease physiology. Um, And so that's what we're going to try to do. um, And uh, we're going to do our best. With that, I think it is time to end this podcast. What can you expect from us in the coming weeks to months? Uh, The scouting reports are going to start coming out in February and March. So you can start learning about the teams in the tournament. We're also going to announce that on social media and on podcasts and all kinds of things. Stay subscribed to this podcast. Mark your calendars for a few important dates. So Monday, March 14th, uh, bracket entries will open. That is when you will be able to start filling out your brackets. And you will have, just like last year, two full weeks To fill that bracket out and make sure you get your entries in, encourage your friends, um, your family, everyone to fill out a bracket um, and engage in the conversation as you're doing that. People like to post pictures of their brackets and all kinds of things. Um, And then uh, the the tournament itself is going to take place from Saturday, March the 25th through Monday, April 4th. Um, And we will have podcasts along the way. Um, So more information to come. There's going to be lots of fun. There's going to be lots of learning, lots of opportunities to connect socially. Um, And I'm just so thankful to this leadership team who is here tonight and those uh, parts of our leadership team who aren't here. Um, Thank you all for joining us for this conversation this evening.